It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week I had the opportunity to speak with a content creator that I am a huge fan of, the incredible Paco, about his experiences with long COVID. Paco is a well-known presence in the Mario Maker community. And if you're unfamiliar, Mario Maker is an amazing game, first released for the Wii U, and there is a version, Mario Maker 2, on the Nintendo Switch that allows you to build your own Mario levels and upload them to a server where anyone else who plays the game can access them and try to beat them. There's a huge, amazing community that has grown around Mario Maker. People live streaming the game on platforms like Twitch or YouTube, and incredible level creators putting together Mario gauntlets that seem almost unbeatable. There are a handful of gamers who make their full-time living playing Mario Maker, and before long COVID struck, Paco was one of them. Paco's initial COVID infection was fairly severe, taking weeks for him to get back on his feet. He took about a month off from streaming, and when he went back to it, he wasn't able to do his full-length streams. He had to do shorter and shorter streams, feeling more and more tired all the time. He tried to push through this, but eventually hit a complete wall, where he had to put down content creation completely and focus on his health. During that time, he became extremely ill, feeling like his mind had abandoned him. He'll tell us what this felt like, where suddenly he would struggle with word recall, making communication difficult. He had a hard time processing what other people were saying to him. He would have breathing issues, heart issues, and of course, extreme, debilitating fatigue. After about a year, he started improving and feeling like it might be time to come back to content creation. So he did a comeback stream and returned to playing Mario Maker Live, and it went well for a few months until he hit another flare-up and had to step away again. It's been a year and a half since that happened, and Paco is still fighting his way back towards content creation. This episode was very personal for me for a lot of reasons. First of all, I'm a big fan of Paco. I loved watching Paco play Mario Maker. So much fun. And I became familiar with him over the years that I used to watch him play. So I was, you know, very curious about what his experiences were with long COVID. I wanted to hear about how he was doing and how his life had been affected by this horrible disease. But on top of that, I'm also a content creator. You know, I don't just make this podcast. I make my Star Trek videos, and I actually used to be a game streamer. I used to play Mario Maker myself, as well as Breath of the Wild. I was a YouTube streamer. And I also had to step away from streaming for health reasons. This was something that I really struggled with. I had spent years building a community, uh, people that like to watch me play video games. And it's such a dream to be able to go out on the internet and have people show up and want to hang out with you and watch you play a video game. It's so intoxicating, so much fun. And, you know, you can make some money doing this too, which is also intoxicating. But as we'll talk about with Paco today, there is so much more involved in game streaming than just having a good time. It can actually be uh, extremely challenging in a lot of ways. You're managing a large community. There's a lot of pressure to perform and also the pressure you put on yourself to be in a good mood and to put on a good show. And when your health is a challenge, All of these things become extremely difficult to the point where it can actually be a detriment to your health to try to put on a show like that. I know it was for me, and my community was a fraction the size of Paco's, and it was so incredibly difficult for me to not be able to show up for that community anymore. So I was really curious to hear about Paco's experience and talk to someone else who'd been through something similar. So I was thrilled when Paco agreed to come on the show, and this conversation did not disappoint. It was so much fun, but also really enlightening. Paco does a fantastic job of describing what living with long COVID is like, and reminding us at a moment when a lot of people 
are forgetting about the pandemic and just kind of putting it behind us, it's really important to remember that there's a lot of people whose lives are permanently affected by contracting COVID-19. It's a great conversation, a great episode of the podcast, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. This podcast is funded entirely through listener support, and we need your help to keep this podcast going. If you'd like to help support the show with monthly financial contributions, the best way to do so is through Patreon. We have three tiers of support, $2 per month, $7 per month, and $25 per month. Each tier comes with different levels of recognition and gifts, and everyone who signs up on Patreon gets access to our monthly bonus episodes with myself and my partner, Andy, and those episodes are always super, super fun. We've slipped into a mid-month release schedule for those podcasts. We usually were on the beginning of the month, but over the last couple months, we've just been so busy that it's been happening on the middle of the month, and that's going to happen again this month. So we're sitting down uh, within the next couple of days to record our bonus episode, and we'll have that out to our Patreon subscribers very soon. We have so much to talk about. Andy and I went on a bit of an adventure to something called Mushroom Fest, and also I've been playing a ton of Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I actually stumbled into the final boss fight last night. Uh, I was just exploring, and then all of a sudden I'm in the final fight, and it was awesome. I love this game. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit in our next bonus episode. Andy's been on the main podcast feed many times. Uh, she was in the very first episode with me when I talked about my health journey. And then she had her own episode talking about her pituitary adenoma. She has decided to move forward with surgery for this adenoma in a couple of months. This adenoma has proven to be a huge health challenge for her. It's just been more and more intense. So we're also going to be talking about what she's been going through in the next bonus episode. And it comes at a time when my health has been on the upswing. Since we have a potential diagnosis, I am doing so much better. So for the first time in our entire relationship, our health dynamic has sort of flip-flopped. We've been talking about this for the last several months on the bonus episodes. I'm sure we will talk about it in this next one we're about to record as well. We'd love for you to come along this journey with us on Patreon. So if you're interested in supporting this show, gaining access to gifts like our major pain coasters and tote bags, special recognition on the podcast itself, and bonus episodes, head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers who are supporting this show at the highest tier of $25 per month. Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Your continued support is so appreciated. Another great way to support the show is by signing up to participate in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice. This is a super cool program. If you have a diagnosis of any kind, you can sign up using our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. Tell them a bit about yourself and your diagnosis, and they will contact you when they have a research study or survey that you might be eligible to participate in. If you do participate, you'll be paid an average of $125 per hour for your time. Everyone who signs up using our link will also be supporting this podcast at the same time. This is a really cool way to be able to participate in the future of therapies for your disease. Share your expertise about what it's like to live in your body with your diagnosis and make some money at the same time. That link is rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, and all of these links are always available in the show notes of every episode. Don't forget to connect with this podcast on social media. You can find us on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Major Pain Podcast. I just created our YouTube page recently, and I would love your support. You can leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Send me an email with your thoughts, your reactions to our episodes, or if you have questions for our previous guests. And of course, it's super helpful to leave us positive ratings and reviews on whatever platform you listen to our show. 
I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Paco about his experiences with long COVID. Paco, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. This is so exciting for me to get to interview you on the show today. I uh, have spent many hours watching you play Mario. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I'm brutal with introductions. But but yeah, that's that's true. I'm very very happy to be on and uh, doing the show. I appreciate you reaching out and, you know, putting this together. Absolutely. Well, before we jump into your major pain today. Let's get to know you a little bit for our listeners out there who may be unfamiliar. So Paco, why don't you tell us about yourself? So I'm Paco. Uh, I'm 35, live in Canada. And before I got sick, I was a full-time content creator. I streamed on Twitch. I recorded and edited videos on YouTube. Other interests of mine, uh, I really enjoy gardening. Uh, I got really into gardening after getting sick as well. Obviously, I can't do as much as I want to. But, uh, you know, I, I would say that's one of my biggest passions right now. And it's something that I always liked, you know, growing up. Yeah. What type of stuff do you like to grow? Everything. <laughs> um, so I grow some, you know, fruit bushes. I start a bunch of like seedlings. Like this year, I started a bunch of perennial plants. Uh, I'm working on a, a pollinator garden and also just, you know, things like strawberries, tomatoes, Um I just like growing food, growing plants, just enjoy it. Yeah, that's so cool. That, my uh, my partner, Andy, and I just moved to this amazing house that has some gardening space and even just like trimming back some of the bushes and stuff. I'm like, wow, this is like really exciting for me. You know, after six years of having my last flare up and finally being able to get out and do some stuff and being in the yard outside, working on something that's alive and growing, it's like really therapeutic in a way I, I never would have expected. Yeah. One of the things that I find therapeutic is just seeing, you know, some of these plants and bushes, they they take a beating and yet a lot of them persist, you know, Mm. and I kind of get inspiration that, you know, if uh, you stick a stick in the ground and if if it can grow roots and, you know, figure it out, you know, it gives me inspiration that, you know, I can get better. <laughs> wow. I love that. That's so cool. And so I know you from streaming Mario Maker uh, on Twitch and watching your YouTube channel for years. And, you know, you're definitely in like my top five favorite Mario Maker streamers. And I used to be a Mario Maker streamer as well. So this is something that's very close to me. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your your gaming life, your gaming history and what brought you to streaming. Okay, so my gaming history, I uh, I got my first Nintendo when I was five. I got Mario. I loved it. Uh, I got a Super Nintendo after. Uh, I played that a ton. And then I never really got another console after that. It was just the old school ones. Like I was in high school still playing my, you know, Super Nintendo. Um, I played FPS for a while. And one day I saw that Nintendo released this game called Mario Maker <laughs> and you could make your own levels, play other people's levels. And it looked awful, but really cool at the same time. <laughs> and I went out and I, I bought a Wii U the, ne- the, the next day. And so at that point I was already streaming, but I was playing a game called H1Z1 and I was playing FPS games, but I, I just 
fell in love with playing Mario again. And I, I enjoyed the creative element. Uh, it was fun. There was also a great community, uh, as I'm sure you saw. And so things just sort of took off from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually very, very similar story, except that I went up through a Nintendo 64 before I stopped buying new <laughs> systems. But I was oh, okay. still, you know, playing Super Nintendo in college and beyond, you know, just pull it out every once in a while, play through Super Mario World, which is still the best game ever made. Oh, um, it's a classic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I the used best. to bite to the blockbuster to play the N64. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I didn't have anything modern. And then I saw, I started seeing Mario Maker videos on YouTube and I'm like, this is a dream come true. You can make your own Mario levels, like unlimited Mario levels. So I, right at the beginning of my uh, six year long health flare up, I got into this whole world, got a Wii U, um, started streaming as a way to kind of pass the time while I was waiting for my body to figure it's, figure itself out. Um, yeah. And got really into it for a few years until, you know, my health started to decline and it just, I just couldn't keep doing it anymore. I just physically wasn't able to anymore. Um, yeah. Which brings me to want to ask you about your health situation, because I know you've been through something similar. So Paco, what is your major pain? So my major pain is long COVID. And long COVID is sort of an umbrella term. It's not really greatly defined. However, I had COVID back in March of 2020. And I just never really got better. Um, I guess I did get better in 2021. I, I started streaming again and I was doing okay, but I had another crash, got knocked to the bottom of the hill. And, you know, here I am a year and a half later, you know, trying to trying to scale the mountain again. Um, so, yeah, long, long COVID is my major pain. Yeah. In March of 2020, you were like the first wave of COVID, yeah. the, ap- the actual first wave. <laughs> you got sick right at the very beginning. Um, yeah. And I, I remember vividly like hearing about this, you know, because I was watching you back then live stream on Twitch and I and like suddenly you were just not around anymore. And I think I found out about your long COVID on Twitter or something like that. You were one of the first people, if not the very first person that, that I knew of in the world, who's like, wow, this, this thing is really made this person sick and it's not going away. And it's like instantly changed your life. Oh yeah. And so it was one of those things. Uh, I missed about a month of streaming when I was acutely ill. So my illness actually, I would say it resolved itself after about, you know, 23, 24 days. But mm. after I got better, I never actually got better. And so I went back to streaming and instead of, you know, streaming for five, six hours a day, I started streaming for two hours a day. And I kept telling myself like, oh, you must be deconditioned. You didn't do anything for a month. And, you know, instinctively you say to yourself, you know, you're not, you're feeling tired. You're not feeling strong. You, you want to just sort of push through it and build on it. And so I kept deluding myself and saying, oh, you know, just push through, build your strength back. But, you know, looking back on it, that was probably very counterintuitive and it probably did me a lot more harm because as I kept trying to push through it, my days started looking like, you know, I would get up later and later. My streams would get shorter and shorter. And once I finished my stream, I would just go straight to the couch and I was floored until I, you know, dragged myself to bed. Uh a few hours later. And so I actually kept doing that for about five, six months. Oh, wow. And then in September, you know, my health had just declined so much that I couldn't even bring myself to turn my stream on for an hour. 
And so I told everybody, you know, hey, I need to try to get better, catch my breath. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I need a couple months of just, you know, hardcore rest. I'll be back by Christmas. I'll be back by the new year. I was gone for a year. Yeah. I was gone for a year. And then I, you know, did my comeback stream. I was able to stream for, you know, four, four hours a day, still short of, you know, where I was before getting sick. But everything was going really well for a few months until I hit a flare up. And then again, in my head, I'm thinking I'll be gone for, you know, maybe a couple of months. Hopefully I'll be back soon because I, I thought, you know, I put this in the past, but here I am. You know, my last stream was what, a year and a half ago. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I relate to this so much because, you know, I went through a couple of like periods when I was streaming where it's like, wow, this is getting really hard for me. And this was something that I started doing to have fun. And when you, when I first started game streaming, I was like, people are watching me play Mario and enjoying themselves. And some people are donating money and I'm just playing my favorite video game. And it's like wildly exciting, you know, this yeah. like rush of adrenaline from doing it. Um, but over time, you know, you are putting on a show and sometimes for, you know, four to six hours at a time. And it's, I mean, that excitement, that adrenaline can become like really hard to maintain um, when your body is struggling, being in that sort of heightened state for that many hours at a time can really start to be become draining. And I, you know, after a while of getting worse and worse, I started having bad streams <laughs> where like I couldn't keep my mood up because I was struggling so much just to be sitting upright and and playing anything at all and be interacting and I was having like some severe brain fog and starting to get self-conscious about how I was appearing on stream and you know one day I just didn't show up and just kind of never showed up again <laughs> um, yeah. and it's really hard to to be in this position where you're doing something, it's almost like you're self-employed doing something that you're, well, you are, you're self-employed. You're doing something that you're really passionate about. You're living the dream. And suddenly your body is telling you, it's like, you, you can't do this anymore. You know, this is not working with you, the state of your body right now. And I think yeah. anyone going through something like that is going to go through a period of kind of trying to fight against it and deny it and want it to not exist. But it, eventually your body is always going to win. Yeah. I, I learned that the hard way. As I said, I, I deluded myself for six months thinking, you know, you just got to push through it. You'll figure it out. You'll get better. But after six months of telling myself that, you know, eventually you, you, you run out of steam on the, the idea that, oh, things are just going to magically get better. And I would say over the last three years, I've, I've come to terms with a lot of my limitations. I'm not happy with them. I'm not content with it, but I know, I know what I'll do that'll, that'll make it worse. And so while I hate avoiding some of these things, I just, I can't afford to get sicker and, you know, set myself back any further. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're recording this in uh, April of 2023. So it's been just a little over three years since you first got COVID. Yeah. Do you know where and when you got COVID the first time? And have you had it more than once? No, so I've, I've only had it once um, after the first time. I've taken a lot of precautions yeah. and I've also, you know, gotten, I guess, pretty lucky because there, there's so much of it out there. 
But I'm guessing that my wife picked it up riding public transportation uh, for work. Um, she was the first one to get sick. And then about five days later, I got sick. And so for her, she was sick for about two weeks. And I would say that she had long COVID light where it took her about a year to sort of, you know, shake all the cobwebs, all the problems. Like her problems were not nearly as debilitating as mine, but she still was, you know, dealing with issues. Um, and that just sort of goes back to long COVID about how it's such a wide spectrum. Like some people are completely bed bound, other people it's mildly inconvenient. And, you know, in between those, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, following in, you know, different ranges of it. Yeah. And I mean, even in just this, in one person, there's such a spectrum of what it can feel like. So for you on, at your worst, what does long COVID feel like for you? At my worst, it's hard because there's, there's different symptoms that it breaks down to. So my first year to year and a half of having long COVID was probably the scariest in the sense that my mind abandoned me. Hmm. You know, you saw me when I was streaming, uh, used to be pretty sharp, quick on my feet, great memory. And after getting COVID, I, I felt like I had dementia, you know, word recall went out the window, memories went out the window, people would talk to me, I would hear words, nothing was being processed, you know, like that summer, they had the bubble for basketball. And I used to watch, you know, a couple of games every night, uh, I was really into it. And yet, the basketball games were going and I found it too mentally taxing just to watch people play sports. Like I'd have to conserve my energy to try focus on the last minute of the game. <laughs> so in terms of uh, what long COVID is like for me, it, it's hard because there's, there's so many parts of me that have been dysfunctional. Like, like I'm at the point now where I haven't had the dementia feeling for about a year and a half. Like I still get sort of a concussed feeling if I overdo it. But I don't have that feeling where, you know, I don't remember things. Um, I'm having trouble like speaking, listening. Um, so that, that, that was one of the scariest things to deal with. Um, I also had issues of like breathing, like trying to take a deep breath, but feeling like I'm hitting a wall. Mm. Um, I've had, honestly, the, the reason I'm not streaming now, I've had wonky stuff going on with my heart, like really elevated heart rate. Going from sitting to standing, you know, sometimes my heart would jump by 40 to 50 beats. Like at the start of 22, it was the worst. Um, and that's also scary. So it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, pick your poison between feeling like you're losing your mind or, you know, feeling like your heart is going to conk out at any moment. It's, it's hard to choose what the, the scariest and, you know, worst symptoms are yeah. from long COVID. Yeah. How about your initial COVID infection? Was it pretty severe? It was weird. It was a really, really, it was unlike anything I had before. You know, my first week was just fatigue, like fatigue, like I'd never felt before. And then it felt like it was going to pass. And then, you know, it would bounce back. Like it, it was, it was a non-linear illness. And like the post-COVID has been very non-linear as well. But the second week I developed a cough, you know, was awful. I felt like I had weights on my chest and I didn't actually get my first fever until my third week. And I would just get these fevers that would last for about an hour where, you know, I felt like I was melting and it was, it was just brutal. And then, you know, after my last fever, then after that, that that's when I felt like I was 
quote unquote recovering and you know moving past it but it was it was unlike anything i'd experienced before like my brain was not working for those three weeks um and honestly it just felt like there was poison coursing through my whole body like i felt poisoned and that poison feeling has extended through the years Mm. yeah that sounds very familiar i i often say with my chronic illness that when i flare up i feel like my body's been poisoned and it's often just like you know oh you ate the wrong thing or you know didn't get enough sleep or you exercised too much or too little boom poisoned (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's so frustrating um what about before you had COVID? Had have you been through any health challenges in in your life prior to that? So I actually did have you know some difficulties back in New Year's two thousand and seven. Um, I think I had a post viral issue. I also ended up hurting my tailbone really badly, and so I was I was pretty bed bound for several months until it started easing up. I'd been to the doctor, you know, trying to sort it out, but before that, I, you know, I could dunk a basketball. I shoot hoops for like four or five hours was nothing. After that, you know, I, I had to give up sports and it took me honestly about 10 years to get back on my feet again. Um, and so while, while I had problems before they, they pale in comparison to long COVID because at least back then, you know, could still live my life, could still do things. It was more limited than, you know, pre-2007, but I still had, you know, even at my worst, well, maybe not my worst, like the first few months, but after that, I I still could do things, still could go out to the movies, still could go, you know, to the bar, Um, not as often, but I could still do some of these things. Uh, Whereas, you know, I would have said that that was the worst thing until getting long COVID and then, what I went through there, it just pales in comparison to the past three years. It's so interesting how, as we get older, our, our frame of reference for things changes so much and how intense things feel changes based off of that differentiation between what we've experienced and, you know, what we've imagined before that. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really bizarre being alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. And that, that, that was actually one of my motivations for getting into content creation. Cause you know, fast forward, you know, eight years later, I, I was a lot better, but I still had days where I had really bad days. And if I'm streaming, I can make my own schedule. If yep. I'm doing YouTube videos, the days I'm feeling well, I'm very productive. The days I'm not feeling well, I'm less productive. And so I still had issues. I still had problems, but again, they, they greatly paled in comparison and content creation was something where my community knew a bit about it. They were very understanding, very supportive. And just being able to, you know, choose my hours and, you know, work when I felt good, that that was one of the attractive things that got me into streaming in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Same same for me. Absolutely. That's why I'm still, you know, pushing as hard as I can to try to make a career out of content creation because it's what I know how to do and it's what I can do within the limitations of what my body is allowing. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's also, you know, it's, it's a lot harder than I think people expect it to be. People think, you know, oh, you're playing Mario on the internet. That sounds like the, the greatest life ever. But I mean, can speak to that for a second. Just tell us a bit about the challenges that people might not expect for a, so, a so Mario there, streamer. There, there's a lot of challenges. Yeah. A lot of people are like, <laughs> oh, they just go up. They, they play video games. 
it's one, it's not just playing video games. Anybody can go turn on the game. You know, you're probably not going to get more than one person. If you got one person watching it, like you have to be entertaining. You have to put on a show there. There's behind the scenes work. Like you're, you're working on your production behind the scenes. You know, you're, you're doing stuff even when you're not online. And as you alluded to, you know, being on is, you know, tiring. It, it takes energy, you know, putting on a show. Like it would be easy if I didn't care about my content. Like if I was cool with putting out crappy content and just, you know, sitting there and not interacting and just playing a video game. Yeah, that's easy. But doing something more, especially with something like content creation, that's so competitive. Um, it's pretty tough. But I mean, go, going back to it, while it was tough, I, I still loved it. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I miss it. Like that, that, that's one of the most frustrating things. And especially now that I'm feeling a lot better. Like a year ago, I wasn't even thinking about it. I'm just thinking, you know, like make it to tomorrow. But now that I'm feeling good enough that I feel like I could stream and put on a show some days, but I know I can't consistently do it. And I know I might have setbacks. It's, it's so hard because, you know, I, I just, I want to do it. I want to, I want to get back to, you know, living life, you know, the things that I love doing. And I, I, I love streaming. Like I love my community. I love, you know, entertaining people, meeting people. Um, it's, it's brutal not being able to do it. Yeah. And I think there's also something that I didn't expect when I first got into it is that as my audience grew, I felt like managing that audience um, the pressure I put on myself to to keep the the level of quality high would grow as my audience was growing. And that's something that I really struggled with that I didn't expect. It's like, wow, I'm putting more pressure and responsibility on myself that I wasn't doing when I started, but I don't know how to stop. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's very easy to put pressure on yourself. So for me, the way that I put pressure on myself was... I didn't want to miss streams, you know, yeah. like I, I, I sometimes, you know, th this sounds so stupid in hindsight, you know, maybe I missed doing something because I didn't want to miss a stream one day, you yeah. know, or maybe I didn't want to go on a trip because I didn't want to be away for a week. And when, when you're in content creation, you get really caught up in the idea that, you know, if you miss a step, you know, it might be really hard to get that step back. But after, after the last three years, I realized how stupid that was. Like, I could have totally taken off a stream to go do something. I could have totally taken off a week to go and do something else. Like, I, I ended up taking a break for a year, you know, on, on my first go around. And most of my audience was still there. You know, I don't know who's going to still be there all this time later. But it just really put into perspective that all these things that I couldn't, that, that I thought I couldn't do, I, I actually could. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, one time there was this like special event. I, I was a YouTube streamer back in the YouTube gaming days <laughs> before they axed that platform. Um, and there was a like a collaboration event where a bunch of us YouTube streamers all played Mario Kart together. And I was so excited to participate in that that I'd been invited and that I was going to be a part of it. And then I got offered a ticket to go see Hamilton <laughs> here in Seattle. And I turned it down. You know, I was like, this is a big event that I don't want to miss. And, you know, it was a huge night for me. I got like hundreds of dollars in donations. I got raided by Ryukar at the end of the night. Um, you know, I know you're a Ryukar fan as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was actually my first content creator friend. 
Yeah. Like we met at the start of, uh, we met at the start of like YouTube gaming, etc. He's also a really good dude. He's so since I've been gone, uh, a handful of my friends have been, you know, reaching, checking up on me. He's actually one of the people who's, you know, checked up on me multiple times. So yeah, uh, I got a lot of love for Ryu. He's a, he's a good dude. Yeah. He's, I, I still watch every single one of his Mario maker videos. He rated me right at the beginning of my, um, Mario Maker career, and it really kickstarted my streaming channel. Oh, you know, I I'd imagine, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's rated me a couple of times, and every time it's just like you know, such a gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I love Ryukar. Um, but yeah, so I know what you mean about you know, you like I had a set schedule, and I was making sure I never missed it, and that's really important because. You know, well, you feel like it's really important, you know, whether or not it yeah. is important, who knows, but no. So, so like a schedule is important. It's just, you can make exceptions. Like yeah. you can take a bit of time off here. You can take a bit of time off there. And that's, that's something that, you know, I didn't realize until I got, you know, fully knocked off the horse and I'm just here as a spectator watching how things are going and, you know, having taken a year off and going back and things were okay. I, I, I feel uh, I feel a bit goofy not having taken some of those days or yeah. you know going on some excursions and doing other things. You know that's uh, that's a regret that you know if I am able to get back to it. Um, so it's one of the only positive takeaways I can you know say yeah. I've had from this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in all content creation, it is really important to set an expectation with your audience. You know, like with this podcast, I go really far out of my way to make sure that I'm not missing my release days and like put yeah. a show out once a week. And I take that extremely seriously. But every once in a while, it doesn't happen because, you know, I have a flare up or maybe I'm going on vacation or something. And I, I set an expectation in the very first episode that like I'm going to shoot for once a week. But if my health doesn't allow it, it won't happen. And then whenever yeah. I know I'm going to go out of town and miss a week, I just tell them and, you know. And it's great. You know, it's fine. <laughs> and I have all this like anxiety around it still. Cause I think game streaming, it was much more intense of if you, if you miss your scheduled stream, people get mad, you know, like people yeah. would tell me, it's like, I bought a pizza and I'm sitting down at six o'clock ready to watch your stream. And if you don't show up, you know, like, so, then so I, I never I cared that about pressure that. Like, on myself. If people, if people get mad, I, I, I never cared about that. It was more just like, my own expectations for mm. myself. You know, I was more worried about disappointing myself, you know, because mm. if you're worrying about like what other people are going to think or say, you're going to have like a very, very bad time with <laughs> content creation, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and there's true. like a lot of entitled viewers who think that, you know, you owe them this, you owe them that. It's like, no, like I'm putting on a show, you're watching, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, but for myself, it was more, I like set these standards for myself and I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, fall short of what I expected that I could or should be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when, when I stopped streaming, I kind of recognized that my body wasn't supporting it anymore. And I switched gears and started this podcast and started making my Star Trek videos on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you thought also, I have of to say this podcast is a great idea. I'm oh, really happy you. you're doing it. Uh, it's really cool. And as I said, I'm happy to be on doing it. Yeah, with you. I appreciate that so much. You know, like this whole podcast was designed to be something that I could do sick. And now that I'm doing better, it's like, wow, that I don't know how I managed that, you know, <laughs> but I just like yeah. set I set up a framework that I could 
plug things into and get it out once a week, even if I was really, really sick. That taught me a lot about resetting expectations for myself and making sure that what I was creating was, was kind of giving me life, you know? Like, as a content creator, I think the reason we all love to create is like making something is just so incredibly satisfying. And like we have these creative impulses that need to be, um, you know, excised from our bodies. <laughs> Otherwise, it just backs up and uh, makes you feel horrible. Like if I'm not creating something, I like sometimes I just feel like I'm not accomplishing anything. And I, I do a lot of different types of content creation. And I have, you know, I've been making music for a long, long, long time. And I've been podcasting now since 2015 um, in various forms. And, and then game streaming on top of that. And I just love all of it so much, but I'm, I'm finding like finding the thing for me that is stable and consistent um, is the thing that has to kind of feed my soul in a consistent way. Um, and this yeah. podcast has been just perfect for that and so exciting. Have you thought about sort of switching gears into a different type of content creation that suits your, your, the state of your body in a different way? Well, what, what I'm thinking of doing, as I said, I'm, I'm having better days uh, the last couple months. I'm thinking of switching and doing more YouTube content to sort of test the waters on, you know, how much I'm capable of doing. You know, it's one thing if you have a live audience and, you know, you're unable to, you know, show up or keep a schedule. Whereas if I do YouTube, I'm going to try to record, you know, 20 videos, have uh, a backlog so that let's say there's a week or two, I'm not feeling well, you know, I don't feel the pressure that I have to do it. Like I want to have enough of a buffer and just sort of test the waters from there. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you know, assuming, assuming I can stay on this trajectory, I, I really am hoping to get back to streaming, even if it's only three hours a day, as opposed to five or six. Um, but again, I'm just sort of following the cues that my body's giving me. Um, yeah, totally. And yeah, on, on, on the note of creative outlet, I'm actually working on a ROM hack right now. Oh yeah. And so the reason I'm doing that, it's just, you know, I want to do something and, you know, I feel like the last three years have been a waste. I've only really been working on this ROM hack for the past year, but I want to feel like I'm actually doing something, not just, you know, sitting around doing nothing. So when, when I have energy, when I'm feeling creative, that's, that's a passion project that I'm you know, using to occupy my, my time these days. Yeah. That's, I've seen some clips of that on TikTok or on, uh, on Twitter. I mean, um, and for anyone who's not familiar, a ROM hack is when you take an old Mario game and, you know, people have built all these tools now where you can gain access to the, to the code basically of old Mario games and make a new version of it. So I know you're working on a ROM hack from, uh, of Mario three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for anyone who's not in this whole world, um, people do insane things with Mario, you know, like, uh, stuff like shell jumps, spring jumps, things that were possible in the physics of the original game, but just no one knew because no one had tried. Um, it's like sort of people discovering all these little nooks and crannies inside of the physics engine and building levels around that. So, you know, like you jump, you hold a shell in your hands, jump in the air, throw the shell bounce it off a wall, it lands under your feet, and then you can bounce up even higher. That's a shell jump. And they're called, yeah. they're called Kaizo Tricks um, from the original ROM hack called Kaizo Mario World. Um, there's your brief history of, <laughs> of Mario. <laughs> that's, uh, but that's it, true. it's like people, it's like magic. You know, it's like people doing feats of magic when 
So that's how I used to think about it watching it. And then I started getting into playing the Kaizo levels and I, I love it so much. But they're really, really hard. And I remember, you know, streaming them was so much fun for me. But I always felt like I had to be making progress on the level to hold my viewership. And yeah. when my health started to fade and I felt like I was slowing down and the, the Kaizo stuff was getting harder and... I felt I felt so much pressure to keep up the level of gameplay. I felt like if I were to not be as good, then I just shouldn't be there. It's like one, another thing of like putting that pressure on myself. And I think that's actually the biggest part of why I had to stop streaming is because the pressure I was putting on myself that no yeah. one else was like putting pressure on me. But, you know, I, I'd see people sort of dropping off the stream if I was having a hard time playing because I wasn't feeling good that day. And it's, like the, the negative self-talk is really hard to stop in those moments. Yeah. I, I think honestly, in terms of skill level, some of my favorite streamers are, you know, they're much better than the average player, but they're not, you know, like Kaizo masters, you know, I, I feel like if you can put on a show. You don't have to be the best player. Like if you're the best player, you'll probably have an audience. Just people want to see your skill, but there's, you don't have to be too hard, too hard on yourself with it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know. And that's the thing. It's like, you can take breaks. You don't have to be hard on yourself. You can play a different game. You know, there's all these things that you can do, but I think we all get so in our head about what are we doing that's working and how do we hold on to it? And like yeah. this fear of loss around having an audience. Uh, it's, it's bizarre. It, it's so hard to navigate in a healthy way. For sure. Yeah. And I saw so many streamers like drop off the face of the earth. When I first started streaming, I was like, why are people stopping? This is the best thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and now, and then I eventually became one of them and I totally, I totally get it. You know um, yeah. why it's like, it, it, you have to have this perfect balance to make it work. For sure. So when did you first discover that you had long COVID? You know, you, you have that initial infection, you start to get a little better. It sounds like and then, you, you know, you eventually crash like five, six months later, you crash really hard. Was it like a long process of discovering you had long COVID? Was there a day when you woke up and said, wow, I think this is what I have? So it wasn't that long. But again, I think I was just deluding myself. You know, the people I talked to, they're like, you know, you were sick. Sometimes it takes a while to get on your feet. You know, you hear the stuff. Oh, you're just deconditioned. I kept telling myself, like, yeah, maybe it's that, you know, like, Hopefully I start feeling better. And so since I got sick in March of, of 2020, people didn't really know anything back then. Like we didn't know long COVID was a thing, um, you know, compared to what I know now, you know, I, I wish I had that information back then, but all I really knew was that I got sick. I was feeling changes in my body. I, I just, I wasn't doing well. And it wasn't until... Yeah, probably the summer um, in the summer. So I, I actually from March of 2020, I didn't see anybody at all until July when I saw my parents and, you know, they they were not doing much. I wasn't doing anything, but I still felt sick and I didn't know, like, am I still infectious? Can I get my parents sick? Mm. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to see anyone or do anything because I, I still felt so bad, you know, like four or five months later. And so in terms of knowing I had long COVID, I didn't know I had long COVID as much as I knew that something wasn't right. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you must have just been going in and out of doctors. Uh, but you shared something with me before we started recording that I think we got to 
repeat because it's really important. Um, this whole idea that every visit to the doctor was a calculated risk because, you yeah. know, you're going out in the world and you might contract COVID again. Yeah. And so that, 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 that that's one of the problems with long COVID. If you have long COVID and you seek out medical help, pretty much your best case scenario is they're going to say, we don't know what to do. Worst case scenario, you're going to be gaslit and told, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just anxious. You just have to, you know, exercise, take these, you know, antidepressants, anti-anxiety pills. It's I, I, I don't think people realize what it's like, you know, having something like long COVID. Like, it's not like you break your arm, they patch you up, you're on your way. Like you have an illness that isn't very well understood. And a lot of doctors aren't very interested in understanding. And even the ones who are interested in understanding, it's not like there's some magical cure where somebody gets the right doctor and all of a sudden they're, they're fixed up. It's a, it's an ongoing problem. So in terms of seeking out help, I, I sort of have to say to myself, you know, is this an emergency? Like, do I think, you know, maybe I won't wake up tomorrow if I don't get this checked out. Um, just because, you know, like with long COVID, people do have, you know, clotting issues. They they have strokes. They have pulmonary embolisms. They have, you know, all sorts of downstream complications. So if you have something like that, you know, you should absolutely seek help. Um, but anything short of that, if, if you go to get help, it's one of those things where you risk getting reinfected. You risk crashing because going and trying to get help is, you know, stressful. And especially lately, it's just extremely unsafe. You know, a lot of places like hospitals are dropping masks, healthcare settings are dropping masks. You know, you have to go have a blood draw. They're dropping masks. It's, uh, you would think that they would, you know, three years into this, that they would be making healthcare settings safer, but it's going in the opposite direction, which is just, uh, if you told me in 2020 that this is what the landscape would look like in 2023, I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, and, and I can't imagine going back even further and telling telling myself what the world was going to be like when I was an adult. It's it's bizarre. We're living through the strangest times. And it's you know, yeah, very strange. Yeah, very it's not strange. just COVID like, like politically and it, you know, just, so I, much everything is weird now but yeah it, it, especially with covid you know things are very weird as well because you know it's one of those things that people don't want to acknowledge it's sort of bad vibes it doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum like covid is over for everyone even though covid is very prevalent in the community mm. you know i i have long covid you know every week you know i show up i i read different groups you know i'm i'm on you know, different sites, there's new people joining the ranks every day who wow. thought, you know, I didn't know about this. You know, I was told if I'm vaccinated, I'm fine. I was told I didn't have to wear a mask, yada, yada. It's not like long COVID, like if you got sick in 2020, you were the only cohort and it's done. You know, the numbers are are growing all the time. And like the complications people have, as I said, it's a, it's a spectrum, but nobody wants to talk about it because again, I, I feel like it's no matter where you are politically, it's just sort of bad vibes. It's not very fun. You know, the pandemic sucks. Let's put it behind us, even though uh, it's still very much a threat, especially for uh, immunocompromised people and, you know, people with disabilities. 
But I would argue it's it's a threat if you're, you know, able-bodied and healthy. It's just not being talked about. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think that for anyone with a chronic illness of any kind or for anyone with a disability who, you know, wanting to express your experience is completely natural and I think critically important to do. Um, and I think a lot of us experience pushback from society of like, oh, I don't want to deal with your your stuff. You know, I don't want to deal with your bad vibes. I don't want to think about being sick. I'm healthy. I feel good. Um, I think that already exists. But I'm now yeah. thinking about what you just said about COVID on top of that, how you're so right that we're li- like, this is the time where um, nobody wants to talk about COVID anymore. Everyone is no, like nobody. exhausted. Everyone's yeah. burned out by it. Um, yeah. People just want to go back to their lives. They want to not be masking anymore. They want to stop thinking about it. Um, so for you as a, as a person living with long COVID, you don't have that luxury. And no. on top of that, you have a chronic illness that people don't really want to, probably pe- you run into this where people don't want to hear about it because they don't want to harshen their mellow, no. but it's like- no. Nobody ex- wants to hear about it. Yeah. But it's like and amplified by this whole COVID situation. No one wanted to hear about that on top of it. So how yeah. does that make you feel as a human being where you're living through this thing that has profoundly impacted your life, but the world around you is kind of pushing back and saying, hey, just shut up and go exist. You know, we don't want to deal with you. Yeah, so so not great. And, and again, just because I've been sick since 2020, it's interesting to see how things have changed from we're all in this together to... I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like it, it was very much, you know, we're, we're all in this, but then, you know, public health threw in the towel. So yeah, I've been six since 2020. And it, it, it's interesting because before there were a bunch of trolls who were like, you know, COVID doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Whereas nowadays, you know, there's quote unquote leftist organizers who are, you know, making snide remarks about long COVID. There's, you know, doctors on Twitter who are, you know, making side remarks about COVID, you know, it's not just, you know, one small subset of people that it started out who were giving all sorts of negativity. It's pretty much wherever you look. And especially, you know, I I didn't expect that there would be doctors on Twitter, you know, trolling chronically ill people. Yeah. (laughs) I I just, that wasn't on my bingo card. Yeah. (laughs) And it changes your perspective of the medical establishment, you know, I know you're in Canada, so I don't yeah. know exactly how different things are, but, um, but how did this change your perspective of, of the medical establishment in general, just knowing that you could become chronically sick and then sort of just fall through the cracks and no one so, seems to care? Yeah. So I, I, I kind of had an idea about that since I had the yeah. problems in 2007 and, you know, tried all sorts of things, all sorts of blood work, you know, all sorts of tests. I went to osteopath, physio, all all sorts of things to try, you know, rehab myself and get better. And my doctor told me, he's like, don't really know what to do. Now it's more about managing, you know, pain and fatigue. And I I, I learned then that, you know, the medical establishment doesn't have a solution for everything. However, I think I still held them in higher regard because I thought that there would be, you know, earnest attempts at, you know, trying to get to the bottom of things. Whereas now in 2023, my my views are a lot worse. I, I mean, going back, so this happened yesterday. Um, there's a long COVID trial where they're testing Paxlovid, which is an antiviral, mm-hmm. to see if that makes a dent on long COVID. And personally, I don't think that's going to make a dent, but they're doing the trial great. And so there's a participant who went in for the trial 
And she was describing her experience that the people at the long COVID uh, Paxlovid trial, you know, receptionists not wearing a mask, nurses not wearing a mask, <laughs> doctors not wearing a mask. And what? these are people who are studying people who were harmed very badly by COVID. They're in the study and the people were expected to take their mask off to get a swab by somebody who's unmasked at Stanford University. Wow. And so uh, one person posted about it on Twitter. Some other people posted about it on Reddit and they said they just walked out. And then, you know, a lot of people are shocked to hear this. However, then some doctors pick it up and they say, I don't understand. You already have long COVID. What are you worried about getting long, long COVID? <sighs> and the thing is, that's that's just a very very stupid thing to say but there, there's doctors who post in bad faith i mean i know a handful of people who have long covid they got reinfected they're doing a lot worse than they were doing pre-reinfection like this isn't this isn't a very complicated concept and yet there's there's doctors from ucsf stanford and they're slapping high fives on twitter making fun of people who have had their lives upended and so again I didn't think that that would become, you know, normal or acceptable. And yet here we are. <laughs> wow. That's shocking to me. Um, and also not surprising at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the world, you know, it's the world we live in. And I, yeah. I get, I get wanting to mask less, you know, like every time I go someplace without a mask, I feel free in a way that I miss. Um, but yeah. there's certain situations where I, I feel like being in a hospital, going to the airport, um, there's certain things where it just makes a lot of sense to still mask. Um, yeah, if I'm going I, to I, I think so. And so for yeah. me, I, I, I believe strongly in masking. However, you know, I get it. People don't always want to wear a mask. There's certain situations, like if you're out doing leisurely activities, you know, you, you want to risk it. That's like your business. However, yeah. I feel like healthcare settings, absolutely. you know, healthcare settings should be made safer because like whether you're in there for COVID or you're in there for something else, you know, let's say you had a heart attack and you go into the hospital and you get COVID, you know, hospital acquired infections have much higher mortality rates. You're going to have extended stay. It makes no sense to have these places where vulnerable, vulnerable people are going in and out of and, you know, not making them accessible. And on top of that, to take it one step further, you know, there are immunocompromised and disabled people who need to go out in the community. And so I feel like grocery stores, mm -hmm. pharmacies, you know, places where, you know, these people might have to go into, I think it's, you know, courteous to, to wear a mask in those instances, public transportation. But like, let's say you're going out for dinner or, you know, you're going to the movies, you, you want to risk it. I have no problem with that. But I just think that, you know, I never really talk about it. Like the mask thing, I just never imagined that, you know, they would roll it back in healthcare settings. I said to myself, yeah. as long as they have it in healthcare settings, you know, make do with the other stuff. Because the, the world really does become a lot more inaccessible when you can't safely, you know, access these spaces. That's what I think a lot of people, you know, don't consider. Like I, I haven't been in a grocery store since 2020. I do curbside pickup. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't afford... I can't afford to get sick again. Like my margins are are very thin. Well, it's that's a super super valuable perspective to share. I really appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, and it, this is everyone's personal choice. You know, I love how you're phrasing that. You know, you're not judging people who want to experience things mask free. 
But let's think about the places where we have at-risk community who need to be able to participate. And like that's that's a completely reasonable place to to have some sort of courteous mask usage. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I don't expect everyone will adopt it, but I just think it would be, you know, courteous to, to make these places more accessible. And also, I, I, I will say, you know, you get COVID, you know, you get vaccinated, you get COVID again, people are getting COVID over and over again. And I, I don't think that that's, you know, overall great for people's health. But again, yeah. if people want to make the decision that, you know, they want to keep spinning the spinning the wheel, you know, that's, that's their prerogative. I just wish that, you know, some of the essential places were, you know, more accessible for people. So it sounds like you've made a lot of progress in the last year and a half. Um, that you're in a better place than you were previously. What sort of things have been helpful? That's a hard one because <laughs> so so this is actually something that's very common in the long COVID community is, you know, I've seen so much in three years. People try all sorts of wild interventions. Some people get better, some people get worse. A lot of times, you know, my first go around when I was getting better, I didn't really do anything other than extreme rest and I got better. However, if I had done some intervention and I got better at the same time, I would probably attribute it to that intervention. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, I think, I think you see a lot of that happening in the long COVID community where, you know, for some people, you know, all they need is time and maybe they don't get back to a hundred percent, but they get up to, you know, a percent where they're able to, you know, live their lives again. And for some people, you know, I know people who have been sick for three years where, they've never improved. Some of them are worse now than they were, you know, at any point. So for for me, I think, you know, time and rest have been important. Like, I can't say necessarily what will make you better, but I could tell you a million things that'll make you worse. Mm. Oh, that's good too. What will make you worse? <laughs> What'll make you worse? Well, one, getting sick again, whether it's <laughs> COVID or another infection. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will flare um overexerting yourself if you have you know post-exertional malaise is one of the things people call it but you know for for other people it's exercise intolerance and like trying to push through when your body's saying no mm -hmm. that will absolutely make you worse um for some people they have you know we were talking about it before with mcas there's going to be you know certain triggers that will make them worse you know figuring out if there's any food uh, allergens, any environmental allergens, and just sort of uh, narrowing down, you know, what could be, you know, ma making things worse for you. Like, like there's, there's just so many things. As I said, like, I can't necessarily tell you how to get better, but I can tell you how you can get worse. <laughs> <laughs> what, so what does that mean for your current trajectory? Like, what path are you on right now? And where are you hoping to go? So for my current trajectory, it's it's really hard. So the first time that I was getting improvements was at the year to a year and a half mark. And back then I thought I was leaving long COVID in the rear view. Like I thought I'm done with this. You know, this was an awful year, year and a half. I can just put it behind me. And so right now I feel very similar to how I felt then where I feel like I'm ascending and starting to get better. But I don't have the same excitement because I know, you know, it doesn't take much to get a setback. Like, like the idea that I can just put this behind me. It was nice to be naive and thinking like, oh, you know, you just linear trajectory get better. Um, and so for right, right now, I, I'm on a, 
I'm on a pretty good trajectory. I'm just not really changing anything I'm doing. I'm still resting, still pacing, still listening, listening to my body. And I do, I do do a few interventions. Kind of what I was saying earlier, I don't like talking about it because I don't know if I can attribute mm-hmm. what I'm doing to why I'm getting better. But because I am getting better, I don't want to change anything that I'm <laughs> yeah. doing. You know? <laughs> I know. And so <laughs> I know so, how that so, goes. Yeah. So that's why that, that's why I'm like very guarded about what I suggest, you know, for, for people yeah. to do just uh just because again, I, I can't definitively say, oh, this is helping me. Like I think it is. But yeah, so my my last crash, which happened, you know, at the year and a half mark, I actually had an infection where I needed to take antibiotics. And about a week to two weeks after the anti- antibiotics, that's when I felt all of my symptoms coming back. Mm. And so I can't say for certain that it was the antibiotics that caused the crash. However, you know, there's all sorts of data suggesting that the virus can alter your microbiome. The virus could potentially still exist in your gut. And so my hypothesis for myself is that something was thrown out of balance. So for the last year, year and a half, I've been focusing on my gut health. And so, again, I can't say necessarily whether that's driving the improvements, but um, I started intermittent fasting. I, I eat during an eight hour window. And I found that doing that, like that didn't cure me. But I started feeling better when I was doing that. Um, I take some probiotics. And the only other thing that I do, and again, got to check to make sure it's not contraindicated or, you know, not going to make you worse. I, I take something called natokinase, where there's been some research showing that, you know, it could be beneficial for clearing out uh, some clotting issues that a lot of post-COVID people experience. And so that's been pretty much my regimen. Other than that, you know, nothing Nothing really. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. listening to your body and, and learning how to navigate your day in, a, in accordance with that is is like a full-time job, you know, when you're living okay. through a, a chronic illness like this. So, you know, trying to find that balance, that homeostasis is so, so hard. And never knowing exactly what it is that you're doing that's either making it better or worse is absolutely infuriating. I, I'm on a bunch of supplements and uh, prescription medications and and this low histamine diet for MCAS. And I'm on all this stuff at once. We don't have like a firm diagnosis. We're just, it seems to be working. So I'm sticking with it. And I keep pulling yeah. myself off of one piece at a time, getting worse, putting it back in and doing it like multiple times for the same thing. Because like the, yeah. the other hard part to this is sometimes things stop working after a while um, and it's it can be really hard to know. So it's it's infuriating. It's so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say how many supplements and how many things I went through. But, yeah. but the thing is, if you have long COVID, you're desperate. Yeah. Like this, this is this is miserable. Like I'm on here and I'm talking. Um, I, I You reached out to me about a year ago. I couldn't have done this show a year ago just because yeah. like the depths that you can sink to and just the the misery that you experience with this like you'll try all sorts of things you know and so for me i tried probably like 20 30 supplements you know i followed eagerly as people were like oh i did this and i got better and then you know you see like 50 people be like i did this it did nothing you yeah. know yeah, <laughs> so it's totally. uh it's it's really hard and it's also difficult because you know there's no solution. So right now there's a lot of snake oil out there. People know mm. that people have long COVID. They're desperate. They'll do anything to get better. There's 
there's people out there who just want to extract money and capitalize on this misery. So being able to navigate this landscape while being sick and while not really getting support via, you know, medical institutions, it's, uh, it's pretty difficult. (laughs) I'd say, I'd say going, going back to like Mario, I'd say my life is on super expert ever since getting sick. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in Mario Maker 1 and Mario Maker 2. Both. <laughs> <laughs> How has this uh, impacted your personal relationships? It's tough. I mean, the only people that I really see are my parents. Because, again, you know, you go back a year, two years ago, more people were careful. It was able to do more things with more people. And yet, a lot of times people say, like, I can't do that, but a lot of times it's I don't want to do that. Whereas when you get long COVID, you realize what's a can't, what's a don't want to do. And so in terms of, you know, relationships, it it is very lonely and isolating, not being able to, you know, do a lot of the things you want to do. And and again, being pretty much excluded from society. However, uh, I have a very, you know, loving and supportive wife, you know, I feel bad because it's been really, really hard on her. Like I'm not, I'm not who I was when she married me, but my goal is to, you know, get back to being that person or, you know, closer to that person. So it, it, it is very hard. And she always says, you know, like, you know, it's no problem. Happy to, you know, help support me, however, but it's more, I guess going back to like what we were saying about streaming, like your own expectations for yourself. Like, I don't want this to be, you know, how my story goes. And so, Mm, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Totally. Another thing I completely relate to. And I, you know, I used to think about that a lot, like wanting to be who I used to be. Um, And I've shifted to now being thinking about becoming the new person that I don't know who that guy is yet. And that maybe it will incorporate more pieces of what I used to have and do. Like I, you know, my, my dream is to make more music again. And to, I used to like play in bands and I, I miss playing on stage so much, but I just never knowing when I'm going to be well enough to do that. I just don't feel comfortable booking a gig, you know? Um, But so, yeah. So instead of thinking about like the things that I've lost and who I used to be and what I wish I could be again, I'm now I've I've shifted my focus to, you know, I'm never going to be the person I used to be. You know, I'm going to be something new and keep my options open and my expectations low or well not not like low expectations, but keep my expectations out of the picture, I guess, and just kind of try to be present and grow into whatever it is that I'm going to be. And if that includes better health, you know, that is amazing, but um I don't know, that that mindset seems to be working really well for me. Yeah. And so for me, like, I don't expect to ever get back to a hundred percent of where I was. Like, I just don't think that's realistic, but for example, my brain, which was at, you know, one, 2%, I feel like it's up to 85, 90%. And while my memory's not as good, while I'm not as sharp as I once was, it's at a level where, you know, I can, I can handle that. And so for me, I think I've tempered expectations that I don't expect to get back to, you know, fully where I was, but I don't think I'll ever accept, you know, how low I've gotten and like what my baseline is now. I just, I don't think I'll ever accept that. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll have to, 
Well, you're fighting. You're fighting for yourself. You're still you're still in this process of trying things and seeing what works. And I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people with mysterious chronic illness. I've lived through mysterious chronic illness on and off my entire life. And there's always something to try. And you just never know when you might stumble on the thing that's going to help. And, you know, I, I wish I could, you know, dispense ideas to people about like, oh, this is the thing that will help, you know. But I, I know that I can't because I know that I've talked to so many doctors that can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are doctors that can, you know, and it's all about finding that one magic piece of advice. That's why I love sharing people's stories because I have learned so much from doing this show. Like I, I've talked to people who did have a specific thing that they tried that worked and being able to share that story, you know, for, for various different illnesses or for whatever. And you know, I just the hope that there might be something out there if we all keep sharing our stories, um, that yeah. there might be something worth trying. But you're also so right that there are so many people trying to take advantage of us and like there, trying to just so get many. our money. It's, yeah, it's big business. It's, it's big disgusting. Business, it's you know crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. so upsetting. So trying to navigate, you know, yes, there's a million things to try, but which one is worth my time and which one is worth trying? Because everything you try is a risk. Because if yeah. it doesn't work and it makes you worse, it might take a long time to bounce back. So yeah. it's a long, and this is why they call it long COVID because it's a long yeah. road. It's a long road. I mean, for some people it's shorter, for some people it's longer than mine. As I said, it's just such a such a wide spectrum of you know who falls under uh, this umbrella term. But there's a there's a sizable portion of people like let's say only like one percent of people get it very severely one in a hundred you know 99 percent of people aren't affected by this but like one percent if you think about it that's a very big number yeah you know what i mean like even the most conservative estimates of long covid like that's that's a problem you know all, all sorts of people get caught up on the prevalence you know the cdc said something like one in five people can expect to have post-covid related health issues um, they put that out in summer of, I think, 2022. Uh, the WHO yesterday said that they expect one out of every 10 infections to lead to, you know, post-COVID health difficulties. Even if you go with a conservative estimate of like even only one or two percent, that's still like across the population, especially where people are, you know, getting infected multiple times a year. Like that's that's a big problem. Yeah. You know, so I, I never I never really get too caught up on, you know, prevalence, like people arguing, oh, it's one percent, it's 15, it's this. It's like even if you go with the most conservative estimate, it's a problem. Yeah. And so that 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 kind of ties into let's say COVID rolls around in March of 2020, you know, they put a stop to it, disappears by the summer. Whoever was caught up in that cohort, I feel like we would get no help. I mean, we've had no help three years into this. But I guarantee they would just write us off. They wouldn't even bother trying to help. However, part of my view is the fact that it's still an ongoing problem and that you're seeing, you know, people dropping from the workforce. It's not good economically to have people becoming chronically ill, unable to contribute. I think that is what's going to tip the scale. But like had, had COVID gone away or it wasn't a problem anymore, I do think, you know, people who were affected by it would just be written off. But I think it's going to be hard to do it as, you know, people join the ranks. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I know from personal experience and from talking to a lot of people that 
when something like this strikes and you spend a lot of time on your own by yourself, resting, recovering, working on trying to see some sort of improvement, you really kind of develop a new relationship with yourself that you hadn't before. And oftentimes good things come out of that. Have you experienced any of that yet? No. <laughs> No, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where I, I actually do try to look at the silver lining. There is no silver lining to any of this. Like as much as I can try to hype up and be like, oh, this is a positive takeaway. There is no positive takeaways. This wow. has just been, it's been miserable. <laughs> wow. I have yeah. nothing to say to that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, I have one more question for you. If you could if you could go back to the beginning of your long COVID journey with everything that you've learned so far, and I know that it is rough. It's a it's a horrible roller coaster that you don't want to be on, all these peaks and valleys that don't make sense and you don't necessarily know what's helping and you're just trying to work your way through it. Do you have any pieces of advice you'd give yourself at the beginning of this journey of things that you might want to steer clear of? So the only thing, and I have thought about this a lot, the only thing I would tell myself is don't try to push through it. I sometimes wonder if I took, you know, four or five months off at the start and I just rested and, you know, I tried to give my body time to recover. But again, there, there's no guarantee I could end up in the exact same spot that I'm in now. I don't know if it makes a difference, but I don't think trying to push through it was helpful and I, I, I do know there's a lot of people who have that same regret. You know, maybe they were a marathon runner and a couple of weeks after, you know, having COVID, they ran 5K, they were fine. The next time they, they ran 5K, they haven't ran since. Hmm. So it's one of those things where if I could go back and say, hey, 2020 Paco, like, you know, don't rush back to streaming, you know, take some time, see, see if you recover, see if you do better. I would definitely have given myself that advice. But other than that, there's nothing really, you know, like, as I, as I said, I, I, I learned the hard way that I have to pace myself. Like, I, again, you understand it. You feel good. You want to do something. You do something, you pay the price. Mm -hmm. And I've paid a very steep price many times over the past three years and uh, doing my best not to not to pay that price, you know, anymore. Like I, I am warning, you know, you feel good. Don't overdo it. You feel like you can do this, do a bit less. But again, that that's miserable pacing. Like I just want to do stuff, you know, like I garden for an hour and, you know, it's nice. Wish I could garden for like five hours. I wish I could do these, you know, heavy duty projects. And, you know, maybe I go out and I, I, I did that for a day. I could be floored for two weeks after. Yeah, totally. So and, and again, it's one of those things that like the crashes that you experience with a long COVID, it feels almost like an extension of the acute illness. Like it's, it's miserable. You know, it's, it's such a dark and miserable place to go to that you just really, you don't want to go back there. <laughs> I'll yeah. say, I'll say that much. And then also just, just elaborating on that too. I feel like if you ask people how they're doing with long COVID, like, the scale needs to be not one to 10, one to a million. Like in, in the last year, I've, I'd say there's been like several jumps where I've gotten a hundred times better, you know, and I got a hundred times better than when I felt like I was a hundred times better, but I still feel like shit. And so that's just a testament to like 
how low you can go. And I feel like that it's not always properly conveyed. Like you look at the news articles, oh, long COVID, you know, some people have brain fog. Brain fog is a euphemism. Like it feels like dementia. It feels like brain damage. You know what I mean? Mm. Or, oh, some people just take a bit longer to get better. It's like, no, some people are in excruciating pain. I don't think the media in public health has done a very good job capturing and conveying you know, the misery that some of us are experiencing. Wow. Well said. And I just really, really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Um, you know, for, for me, I, I love your content. I love watching you play Mario, but it matters so much more to me that you do what you need to do to be healthy than to make content, you know? Um, and I'm sure that a vast majority of your viewership feels the same way. I really want to stay in touch and see what happens with your journey in the future. If you ever find something that helps that you feel comfortable sharing, please let me know. We'll have you back to talk about it. Um, sure. But yeah, Paco, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this piece of your journey with us. Please tell us where people can go to find you online and to connect with you. I guess my my main Twitter is at the Paco show and my YouTube channel is and was the incredible Paco. Neither of those is very active right now. <laughs> However, you know, hopefully as I, as I do better, hopefully I'll start being more present on social media. Awesome. And yeah, if you ever make YouTube videos, I'll be absolutely ready to check them out. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, Paco, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. This was great. I'm happy I did it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, MajorPainPodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Pain podcast.